I think we all know that conflict in life is inevitable. With people, there is always the potential that there will be differences of opinion, be conflict of interests, and even relational breakdown. I know of a church in Houston, Texas, where the elders decided they wanted to put an attractive steeple on top of their building. Now, there were some executives on that elder board, and they were very much used to giving orders and having their plans carried out. Uh, Anybody see a potential problem here? I think we do. They became so divided over the kind of steeple they were going to put on their church that they ended up not getting one at all. Can you imagine belonging to a church like that? Our elders can't even agree on the kind of steeple we ought to have. Uh, By the way, they were Presbyterians. I think we all know if they had been Baptists, nothing like this would have ever happened. And I can hear you say, tell us another one, Pastor. But let's get a little serious here this morning. How does the spiritual person handle interpersonal conflict? What an important question that is. When disagreement arises that jeopardizes our plans, our expectations, even our possessions, how does the godly person respond Well, that's what I want to see this morning from the Word of God. Uh, The Lord is very concerned about peace amongst believers. And this morning we're going to look at a conflict that Abraham had with his nephew Lot when they returned to the land of Canaan. And so the title of our sermon this morning is simply, simply, Abram and Lot separate. And what we're going to learn as we turn to Genesis chapter 13 is God uses conflict in two ways in our lives. There are two things that God does as a result of conflict amongst us. And these are so important that we learned this morning. And so, if you would take your Bibles and open to Genesis 13, I want us to see, first of all, that conflict tests our spiritual maturity. Conflict is always a means of testing where we are at in maturity with the Lord. So notice with me verse 1 of Genesis chapter 13, and notice what the Bible says. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now what we need to see as we look at this and this principle that conflict tests our spiritual maturity is that Abram now in Genesis 13 is returning to fellowship with God. Chapter 13 here is a new beginning for the patriarch after his lie and all the trouble that it caused in Egypt, he now returns to faith and commitment to the Lord. The text is very clear about this. He left Egypt, and he returned to the place where he had been at the beginning, where he had made an altar at the first, and the Bible says, he called upon the name of the Lord in worship again. Now, you know what Moses, who wrote this, wants us to see? 
He wants us to see that Abram's faith uh, was returning and he was maturing. And he wants us to see this so clearly that he retraces all of Abraham's steps back to God. You can see it so clearly. He leaves from Egypt up into the Negevs, the southern part of the promised land. Then he moves back up to the place between Bethel and Ai, where he had been at the very beginning, and to the place where he had made an altar, and there he once again calls on the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, Abram's return to worship at this point is a renewal of his faith. After what had happened and the disaster in Egypt, he is now growing and maturing once again in his relationship with the Lord. And then I want you to notice what happened. He experienced a conflict with his family. Look at verse 5 with me. Notice what it says. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, and then making things even more difficult, at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Now quarreling over pastures and water holes was a common experience among shepherds. This type of thing even happens in modern times. Uh, when I was living in Texas, uh, there was a woman that I knew and actually worked with, and she said that her grandfather had gone out to West Texas many years earlier to raise sheep. The local cattlemen in West Texas paid him a visit, and they gunned him down. And his widow and children had to pack up and head back east. So these disputes that are being described right here can get very contentious and even deadly. Now this word for strife between these herdsmen in verse 7 is a very, very strong word. It means shouting, bodily struggle. It can even include brawling. And we all understand if a range war were to erupt because of this, lots of people would get hurt. Do you know what this was for Abram? This was a test. It was exam time for Abram. It was a test of his renewed fellowship with God. How would he settle this strife? How would he keep this from exploding into a war where everyone would lose? By the way, do you know, this is now the fourth test Abraham has faced here in Genesis. I want you to think about this for a moment. We are only two chapters into his story, and already he has experienced four tests, the majority of them extremely difficult. I want to just stop here for a moment. The Christian life is a life of testing, is it not? 
Oh, how we need to hear that. Oh, how I need to hear that. The Christian life is a life of testing, and as a Christian, we are tested over and over again, and conflict is one of those tests in life that we will face on a regular basis. It is a test of our faith and our spiritual maturity. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11, 18 and 19. Listen to his words. He says, I hear that as a church there are divisions among you. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Do you know what conflict in our marriage is? It is a test. Do we have God's approval in how we resolve that conflict? Do you know what conflict with our neighbor is? It is a test. Are we pleasing God or are we pleasing self in how we resolve the conflict? Do you know what conflict in a church is? It is a test. Do we have God's approval in how we are resolving the disagreements amongst us? You see, the text here is very, very clear. Conflict tests our spiritual maturity. Well, now there's a second thing that God wants to do then. If it is a test, then we should understand, secondly, that God tells us conflict reveals our spiritual maturity. And shouldn't we expect that? If indeed it is a test of our walk with the Lord, then it will reveal to us whether we are spiritually mature or not. And in verses 8 down to the end of this chapter, what we see is three contrasts that conflict reveals about our spiritual maturity. And so this morning, this is so very, very important. Let's look at these contrasts, and it becomes very clear between Abram and Lot, who is the one who is operating in faith and maturity, all right? First contrast, contrast in priorities. Conflict will always reveal the priorities that we have. And I want you to notice, Abram put relationships first. Abram put relationships first. Look with me at verse 8 and notice what it says. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Now this is very clear. Abram's major concern was the relationship with his relative. This word for kinsmen here in verse 8 is a reference to a close relative. It is actually a term of endearment. We would say kinfolk. These are my kinfolk, we would say. 
And so Abraham valued the relationship above whatever he could get personally, and this is what he knew. He knew constant conflict between relatives will turn them into enemies. We know that ourselves. No matter how close a person may be to somebody else, even if they are relatives, constant conflict will turn those people into enemies. And Abram put relationships first. What about Lot? What did he put first? Lot put self first. He put self first. Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know Bethel, where this took place, was one of the great viewpoints of Palestine. It was very much like a scenic overpass in the UP where you might stop and look for a long distance at the beauty of the scenery. From Bethel, you can see the north end of the Dead Sea and you can see the entire Jordan River Valley. Verse 10 tells us, so plush was this area that it was like the Garden of Eden, it was like the land of Egypt, watered by the Nile River. And when the text says in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw, can we not just see his eyes swelling with delight as he calculated his potential prosperity? Brothers and sisters, verse 10 is dripping with selfishness, greediness, and covetousness. That's what Lot put first. I don't think I need to tell all of us this morning that this last year and a half has been a time of tremendous conflict in churches over COVID-19. I don't need to tell you that any more than you need to tell me that. And one of the well-known Christian leaders who has been watching what has been going on in churches in America is a man by the name of Ed Stetzer. And recently, he wrote an article in which he described what he has seen in churches all across America. Let me read this for you and weep while you hear what has gone on in American churches because of COVID-19. Listen to this. Some left their churches because of masks. Others because of no masks. Some left their churches because the pastor prayed for President Biden. Others because he did not pray for President Biden. Some left their churches because George Floyd was mentioned. Others left because George Floyd was not mentioned. People left their churches after years and decades 
over either minor disagreements or major political differences. Doesn't that break your heart? That's worth weeping over. And usually there are three culprits that cause any division. Someone has to be right. Someone has to be in control or win. And someone has to have something. Those are almost always the culprits in division. Someone has to be right. Someone has to be in control or win. Or someone has to have something. Pastor Alan Redpath, who pastored Moody Church for a number of years, had this to say. The secret of every discord in Christian homes and communities and churches is that we seek our own way and our own glory. And he was exactly right. The only time Christians should ever divide from one another is over God's truth or right and wrong. The only thing that ever ought to separate us that is worth dividing over is the truth of the word of God or clear right and wrong. That's the only time there ought to be division and breakdown. All other divisions can be traced to pride, ego, willfulness, or possessiveness. And conflict will always reveal priorities. Now priorities will lead to a second contrast, and that is actions. Our priorities will lead to certain actions. And I want you to notice the contrast here in actions. Abram exhibited generous actions. Abram exhibited generous actions. Look at verse 9. Notice what he said. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now in complete opposition to all that we would expect, Abram here gives Lot the first choice. Let's just stand back at this and say, what? Abram's the head of the family. He's the man in charge. He's the elder over Lot, and all of us know he had every right to tell Lot what to do. And then add this, the promised land is promised to Abram. Lot is just sort of along for the ride. You say, what's going on here? Oh, it's so important we don't miss this. When we are relying on the Lord... We don't have to win over others. We can let them go first. When we are trusting our lives and our future to the Lord, we don't have to win over others. We can let them go first because we are trusting in God. 
But notice Lot's actions. Lot's actions were grasping actions. Grasping actions. Look at verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Lot helped himself, didn't he? That's what he did. He took advantage of his uncle's generosity. And we can just look at this and we can say to ourselves, Lot, you should have said this isn't right. Abram, you should have the first choice. But instead, Lot took the best for himself. He was grasping. When I was a young pastor, I was at a pastor's meeting one day in the church of one of our pastors that we fellowshiped with. And the reason we were there is he wanted us to see the new remodeled sanctuary that had happened in their congregation. And so that day, I can remember very vividly, I'm a young pastor, we've gathered in the sanctuary, it's been remodeled, and we were all admiring how wonderful it looked. And he said, one of our members, a lady in our church, oversaw the entire project. We were impressed. And I just spoke up and, and I said, my, it must be awful nice to have such a talented woman like this in your church. And he said, well, she's no longer here. What? He said, yeah, when the whole remodeling project was over, he said, we needed a new vacuum cleaner. And we decided not to buy the one that she uh, recommended. He said she got so upset, she left the church. Whenever we see people striving, pushing, intimidating, breaking fellowship with other believers, here's what we can be sure. They have never grown up in Christ. No matter how talented they may be. If they are striving, pushing, intimidating, if they are falling out with other believers, no matter how talented they may be, we can be sure they have never grown up in Christ. And there is a price to pay. There is a price to pay. That woman paid a price in what God wanted to do in her soul. When she selfishly said, if you don't trust me enough to get the vacuum cleaner that I want after I have overseen this entire remodeling project, I'm leaving this church. She rejected what God wanted to do in her life. And she paid a price. Now that's actually the last contrast in this chapter. And we have to follow it very carefully. 
Priorities will always lead to actions. Actions will always lead to consequences. It always works that way. Priorities will always lead to actions. And actions will always lead to consequences. Let's notice the price these two men paid. Lot paid in spiritual loss. Please don't miss this. Lot paid in spiritual loss. Look at verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. In making his selfish choice, Lot was totally oblivious to the influence of Sodom. Do you know the next time we're going to meet Lot will be Genesis chapter 19, and by then he has moved into Sodom. And you would say to me this morning, as I would say to you, what believer in his right mind would move into Sodom and Gomorrah? What believer in his right mind would move into those two cities? But brothers and sisters, that's not the greatest tragedy. The greatest tragedy is Sodom moved into Lot. That's the greater tragedy. Brothers and sisters, here's what we need to hear this morning. Be careful what we fight over. Because we usually will lose more than we gain. Right this morning? Be careful what we fight over because we will usually lose far more than we gain. But look what price Abram paid. He received spiritual blessing. He received God's pleasure. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look. What had Lot done? Selfishly, he had lifted up his eyes and looked and took for himself. Now what does God say to Abraham? Abraham, now it's your turn. You lift up your eyes and look. I want to say this morning, I would much rather have the Lord say to me, lift up your eyes than look, than to selfishly lift up my eyes and look myself, right? And notice how the Lord continued. Look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Hey, it's not hard to see who God was pleased with, right? And then Abram received God's promise. Look at verse 17. Arise. Walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. What is God saying to Abram? Abram, 
Don't worry. I see what you did. And I will take care of you. And then Abram received the wonderful presence of God's fellowship. Look at verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram went back to his altar, didn't he? And he continued walking in fellowship with God. Most of us know that John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, the most famous Christian song of all. But we may not know that he was also a very influential pastor, and a number of his letters were published. There's a book you can get, The Letters of John Newton. I want you to hear what he wrote in one of those letters. Listen to his words. What will it profit a man if he gains his cause and silences his adversary? If at the same time he loses that humble, tender frame of spirit in which the Lord delights and to which the promise of his presence is made. What would you trade for God's pleasure? His promise. The fellowship of His presence and the blessing of your life. What would you say those things are worth trading for what I can gain by winning in this conflict? You see, there is a reason, a great reason for us to solve conflict God's way. It is always a test of our spiritual maturity, and it always reveals our spiritual maturity. What our priorities are, the actions that will flow from those priorities, and the price we will pay in loss or gain, if we fail to do things God's way. Let's bow our hearts together for a moment, shall we? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one is looking around, As we are before the Lord, there's one thing I don't have to ask, and that is, are there any conflicts going on in our lives this morning? Because we all know the obvious answer is yes, yes. And here are the questions for us. Are we putting relationships first or self first? 
Are our actions toward our brothers and sisters, our family members, are they generous or are they grasping? And have we lost the greater things, the spiritual values that the Bible extols? Or have we lost that which is only temporary? These are things we deal with over and over again. We live where Abram and Lot lived. And God is calling us to resolve conflict His way. Father, help us to see ourselves today. The Word of God is a mirror. It reflects who we are. And we pray that your desire to bring the very things we sang about earlier, peace and love and acceptance and unity, we pray that those are the things that we would value. And we pray that we might be instruments of your peace in our marriages, with our neighbors, in our church. Father, it's a sad indictment when a district executive pastor says one thing that COVID-19 has taught us is that there are a lot less mature people in our churches than we thought. Lord, that is a sad, sad indictment. And we pray, O oh Father, that you might Heal the rifts amongst us. We pray, O oh God, that we would endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How beautiful and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity. And Father, for those amongst us who have shown us the way, who have helped us to see what a godly marriage is, what a godly neighbor looks like, what someone at work who loves Jesus exhibits, and how mature Christians in a congregation demonstrate their walk with the Lord. And oh God, for those people we thank you, where we have fallen short, please forgive us. 
And may we endeavor to be the peacemakers. For Jesus said, they are blessed. Thank you this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen.